0: Before beginning this episode of Cohort W, I want to thank my TAC officers and classmates from class 0515, The Iron Warriors. Sixteen years have gone by in a heartbeat since we graduated and were pinned in July of 2005. I had many outstanding classmates and I can't name them all, but I want to thank longtime friends Tanya Houseconnect, John Hunter, Joe Parento, Pete Ogan, Kevin Reinhardt, and Ken Johnson to name a few. I appreciate the outstanding professionalism and friendship over the years. I would also like to thank some new listeners from Coimbra, Portugal. I stayed briefly in your beautiful country, and I want to visit again someday. Also, thank you to listeners in Kottenheim, Germany. Welcome, and thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to write me at cohortw1918 at gmail.com. Additionally, I would love to hear from some of our listeners in Charlotte, North Carolina, Roswell, New Mexico, Brooklyn, New York, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Columbia, Missouri. And now, on to our show. Take it away, Josh and Nicholas. Welcome to another Cohort W podcast episode, bringing you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most exciting and enterprising young warrant officer leaders. Each episode is dedicated to exploring real-life leadership in the warrant officer cohort in tackling the problems faced in large-scale combat operations and multi-domain operations. And now, here's your host. Hello. In today's episode, my incredibly excellent guest shares some personal and professional experiences as an aviation warrant officer. Then we will examine how those experiences contribute to meeting doctrinal requirements for aviation. All Cohort W guests were recommended by senior warrant officers in their branch. And today I am joined by Aviation Warrant Officer, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Andrew McCowan. Thanks so much for your time today, Andrew. Can you share with the audience a little bit about yourself, please?
1: Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It's CW3 McCowan. I am a U-860 pilot. I am also tracked as an Aviation Mission Survivability Officer, formerly known as a TAC Ops Officer or Tactical Operations Officer. I have worked at that level from the company to the battalion to the brigade, and then just most recently as g 32 Air Operations Deputy Director forward for a theater level army, which was 3rd Army over in CENTCOM. So quite a bit of experience there through all levels. Currently, I am an instructor and also an AMSO instructor for the newly implemented Aviation Warfighter Skill course, formerly the Aviation War and Officer Advanced course. And that course will be implemented uh, soon, and I will be the class lead for that. So that was just a little bit about myself. Thank you.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about your MOS, your MOS title and a little bit about how that fits into, into aviation as a whole?
1: Absolutely. As a 153 Mike, which is a uh, Black Hawk pilot and a tactical operations officer, or mission survivability officer, typically what we did is performed air assaults, air movements, and we were pretty much the jack of all trade. We also provided recon security. Uh, we prefer- provided that uh, early warning assets for uh, those ground commanders. Basically, anything that they requested, we, were, we tried to respond to do what we could on, on support of that ground command.
0: Can you also go into a little bit about all the MOSs that are out there? And you don't have to go into everyone, but some of the bigger MOSs that you have in aviation.
1: Absolutely. So we have the uh, UAS warrants. They are becoming prominent now with the new uh, formation of the uh, attack reconnaissance battalions. They have their shadow platoons. And also we have, they're associated with the uh, aviation brigade, but they're normally appointed echelons higher at uh, division or corps, which is the larger UAS, the Gray Eagles. So those are those separate warrants. We also have ATC warrants that help with uh, air coordination measures, uh, help with air traffic control on top of our platform aviation warrant officers that, you know, are our UH-60, Air-47, and
0: our AH-64 pilots. And of course, aviation maintenance too, correct?
1: And the maintenance, yes. I can't leave those guys out, most important.
0: No, you can't. They're wonderful. Can you talk to me about what your daily work in the operational army was like in garrison, training uh, environments, or deployment, please?
1: Absolutely. And they vary by echelon. The junior aviators just coming in out of flight school, their primary focus is getting to be that pilot in command or fully mission capable, learning those tasks and learning the mission of the company. Mm -hmm. Moving up to the battalion, you will get those additional tasks, usually are a track, either a safety, a maintenance officer or an AMSO like myself, uh, and you will get into those specialized tasks. Same with brigade. And then like my experience, when I moved up to a theater level army, I got into a much broader based off previous schooling that I went on my track into SEMA activities, which are cyber electronic magnetic activities, excuse me, electronic warfare, joint targeting, joint war, joint operations, both in joint fires and joint air operations. It is a uh, a Orion Steakhouse. It's a buffet of the possibilities that uh, you can leap into from aviation. So you're not only supposed to be accustomed with the air side of it, but be very familiar with the ground side of it and any kind of tributary that branches off from that.
0: Perfect lead into the next question about how does that practical operational work fit into the warfighting functions? And you really did a nice job of setting me up and setting yourself up for that. So thank you. So with the warfighting functions, we can operate over all
1: six warfighting functions to include the two additional to to combine to the eight elements. Uh, We can do anything from sustainment to protection, maneuver. Basically, we are here. We are that supporting unit here for that ground tactical commander. So it can, I don't know how long you want to go with this, but we can go...
0: I got intrigued when you were talking about targeting there. And um, I'm guessing to a degree that includes the fires mission. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. You know, with targeting, that also leads into intelligence, counterintelligence. It deals with. How do we set up fire support coordination measures, air coordination measures, anything? We have to be well-versed in all of those aspects to understand fully what's going on, because it's not just us that we're focused on in that one specific mission. It is adjacent units. It's the intent of the adjacent units. It's the intent of the ground tactical commander that you're supporting. Um, It's all of the above.
0: Sure, that's very, very demanding mentally, especially when you're piloting multi-million-dollar vehicles and having to think so quickly like that. Wonderful. Do you have any examples or a specific example you remember uh, when you started all putting that all together about how your your work actually fit into the warfighting functions?
1: There have been so many. I will tell you one that I was working at the uh, at USR sent if anybody wants to look it up the Qantas airstrikes uh, where we dropped uh, 40 tons or 80,000 pounds of ordnance on an ISIS held uh, island or Al-Qaeda supported island and that was more of a shaping operation to eventually get uh, al-Baghdadi. So I guess if there was a distinct memory of not only just doing your aviation part, but becoming that technical and tactical expert outside of what you normally do on a day-to-day basis. I think that would narrow it down.
0: Sure. And I appreciate that. Can you spin that practical work up from the warfighting function into large-scale combat operations?
1: Absolutely. Bottom line, Uh, When we talk about ULO, we're talking about doctrine, and doctrine is our functional base of communicating, you know, through the TCs, through the FMs, through the JPs to to find out that that common language. And when we talk about unified land operations, bottom line, that is how the United States Army, as far as aviation, as far as that warfighting function of movement and maneuver, that is how we're going to contribute to the fight. And it's through the offensive, defensive operations, stability, and defensive support of uh, civil authorities or DISCA to have a, a functional knowledge, a good foundational knowledge of what an offensive operation is, what a defensive operation is, stability in DISCA. I mean, that is all too important. Just so you have that base going in uh, myself, if I get go to an IPC or initial planning conference or an a- AMCM to find out if that commander is talking about, he wants to pre- perform in an development, which is a form of maneuver for an offensive operation, or if he wants to do an infiltration or a frontal attack or a flank, how can I myself as an aviator contribute to that discussion and help
0: better inform him to help his decision-making process? I appreciate that very much. I want to go one step further. And you you mentioned SEMA earlier. And that brings me to my next topic of multi-domain operations. Can you talk to me about how your practical work then would fit into what we think multi-domain operations will be like? As
1: far as like the MDO model 2028, we have to look at all domains and then how we apply our tenets as far as like simultaneity, death, synchronization into this fight and how we're going to achieve this to help defeat peer, near peer adversaries. So when it comes to MDO, as far as what I teach and what we have to look at is we are going to be one small piece in, in, in this puzzle And it's going to happen over large geographic areas. And Army Aviation and that ground maneuver unit, we may be it. That may be all the supporting and supported units that there are. So we need to make it work. And one of the um, questions as far as that MDO template is, how does the joint force disintegrate enemy anti-access area denial systems in the deep areas to enable operational and tactical maneuver? One of those domains we're going to be fighting in, of course, everybody thinks of the land, air, maritime, space, cyberspace, but two domains that we have been uh, had the freedom of maneuver thus far has been space and cyberspace in the EW world. And if that gets thrown at us, that's going to be something completely new. So that is something that we are continually trying to train and for evaluate
0: and uh, assess any risk for that. Great. Thank you. I hope that our audience really gains something from this. I'd like to shift gears a little. Can you talk to me about what you've learned uh, in your career as a warrant officer and an aviator about the importance of your work to the Army's mission, please? So,
1: like I said, a junior aviator, when they first start out, they are worried about flight hours and flight hours only and gaining that tactical and operational experience. Myself, as a W-3, when I went to a uh, third Army, I stepped into a CW-5 position. I was working daily with colonels who reported directly to three stars, and those three stars directly reported to the geographic combatant commander. There was little to no ambiguity of what they wanted to know at what time they wanted to know it. And uh, if I had to go back as a junior W-1, I would have dug a little bit deeper into the doctrine, into the TCs, the FMs, the JPs, to find out what language they were using. It was a steep learning curve, but it was a very rewarding experience. I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. I would welcome any junior grade warrant officer to explore those opportunities as far as broadening assignments outside of their realm or their comfort zone.
0: What would you share with a warrant officer who just graduated from Canada school?
1: I'm always willing to keep learning. And I think how that affects the Army is as long as you're willing to keep learning and expand your knowledge base, it will greatly enhance and help the Army overall.
0: It's great to hear warrant officers talk about doctrine, especially so richly and so easily and fluidly, like you have, Andrew. I appreciate your time so much. And thank you for sharing your work and how it contributes to your branch's doctrinal requirements for aviation, for warfighting, and let's go and MDO. Final word is yours. Anything you'd like to add to the conversation today?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm on to my next journey, which is promoting the next advanced warfighting skill course, which will help younger, more junior aviators out there who maybe just made pilot and command to get a broader sense of what it's going to be like operating in uh, large scale operations and in a multi-domain operations and describing that operational environment. So I'm grateful for your time,
0: sir. Your students will be lucky to have you, Chief McCowan. Thank you for your time. Have a good day. You too. On behalf of the Warrant Officer Historical Foundation, thank you to today's guest for your insights on the future of warfare and the importance of the Warrant Officer to that fight. Please visit warrantofficerhistory.org to learn more about how you can help support the foundation and programs like this. Special thanks to our theme music composer, Josh DiStefano. Visit joshdestefano.com to hear more of his outstanding works.